You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. summer. Glad that you're all here and you made it out. Uh, we are in a series uh, talking about the seven sacraments. Uh, if you don't know what a sacrament is, I thought I would just take a moment and sort of def- help define it uh, and continue to unpack it as uh, uh, just as Reverend Benita did last week. So for Catholics, a sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace. Okay, well that means like, what? I don't understand. Um, so how about even this definition? Uh, a more general definition, it is a religious ritual that infers a blessing of grace on other people. Maybe still also confusing. Uh, Josh Scott describes it this way. He says, it's a place where the divine and the holy meet in everyday life. I, I like to just describe this as it's the ways in which people often experience God. Uh, it's a way in which some experience God. I'd also say that while the, the church has only historically named seven sacraments, I think that there's definitely room to say there are so many ways that we could expand this because so many people experience God in so many other ways. But historically, these are seven areas that I think the church has, has held on to. Now, interesting, Catholics, they, only, they, they believe in all seven. Protestants, who have been around for a little over 500 years, we only believe in two of those sacraments. So when the Protestants formed, breaking off from the Catholic Church, they decided to only hold on to two of them, which was communion and baptism. The rest they decided to sort of let go of and say that those were not sacraments that the church was going to uphold or give special uh, a focus or appreciation to. The other thing that, that they did was only Catholic priests can oversee the, sacrament, the seven sacraments. So only Catholic priests can marry people or baptize people or offer communion. Uh, only priests can ordain other priests into the priesthood, these types of things. Whereas in Protestantism... While sometimes this is still the case within some Protestant denominations that only uh, pastors or priests or reverends or bishops are allowed to preside over sacraments in the church, many Christian denominations within Protestantism have allowed that to be extended to all people, believing that everybody should be able to have access to extend these graces or to experience these graces to different people. So just to give you a little context there, also, if you're like, well, what are the seven sacraments? Maybe you weren't here last week when Reverend Benita went over them. Just wanted to highlight them for you again. It's communion, baptism, confession, anointing of the sick, confirmation, marriage, and holy orders. And holy orders is what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Like, well, what is holy orders? Holy orders is probably the one sacrament that people know the least about uh, because it's not always relevant to all of people within the congregation. Holy orders, there are three types of holy orders throughout Christian history. There are deacons, there are apostles, which we now call bishops, and there are elders, which later now we call them priests and pastors and reverends. So these are three different specific holy orders within the church that provide leadership and wisdom and direction, usually to the overall direction of a congregation or a denomination. We at Forefront, we still actually embody uh, some of these elements, particularly the deacons and the pastors. We don't have bishops. We don't have bishops because we're not a part of a denomination. Um, 
And so there's no one outside of us that is telling us what we should be doing or saying or believing or acting. So how did this all come to be? So in Acts 6, we first started with the apostles, now called bishops. Uh, the apostles were like really busy planning the church, multiplying it, seeing that it all took off. And as that began to happen in Acts 6, they're like, whoa, we are like overwhelmed. We have too many things going on. We're doing like not just like the big picture stuff, but we're doing all the nitty-gritty small stuff. We can't do all this. So they decide they're going to create a new office called the Office of the Deacons. And the deacons would focus on specific ministries and tasks within the church to help sort of lift the weight off of the apostles with all the things they were doing. We still do this at Forefront. We have, we have deacons who oversee different ministries and elements of our church to help continue to advance what we're doing because obviously the pastoral staff uh, cannot do everything, right? And so we allow, this allows there to be a greater extension for the body of Christ to see that the church thrives. So also as the church began to grow, these apostles who often were responsible for preaching and teaching and overall direction of the church, they also were like, well, I can't, like, literally, I'm exhausted on a Sunday. Like, I'm going from this church to this church to this church to preach. And at the end of the day, they've been, like, preaching at three, four, five churches. They're, like, going on tour practically. And it was just overwhelming. So they decided, like, this model isn't working. What we need now is we need individual pastors, or as they call them, elders, at each church who will be responsible. And then those elders, their pastor will be the bishop. And so the pastors always need pastors, right? There needs to be accountability. There needs to be this system. There needs to be this support. And so this is where the idea of priests and pastors and reverence were created. Now, this is a question that I feel like I get all the time here at Forefront. What's the difference between a pastor and a reverend? Um, what's the difference between a priest and a pastor and a reverend? Like, are there, are there different meanings to these different titles? It all depends on the different tradition within Christianity that you're a part of. But I will say this, usually reverends and priests, if you see like REV period or priest, it's, that is usually a head nod of the fact that they have gone to formal seminary training, meaning they've basically gotten their master's in pastoral or church ministry. Um, whereas pastors is sort of like a catch-all term. Sometimes you haven't been educated in, in formal education, and sometimes you have. Um, usually people will use the word pastor also because it's softer, like it's a reverence just sounds like reverence, like it's overwhelming, like to be in your presence. And so pastor is more like communal and friendly and like kind and welcoming. And so this is why those terms go back and forth. I just gave you a ton of information, right? But all probably hopefully helpful to understanding like how we sort of got to these different offices within the church. I'm about to give you some more information. Um, and I love some of you right now who are like taking notes. Like I love when people do that because um, they're just like, oh, this is so much information. I got to get all this down. Um, so here's, here's some interesting things to think about, uh, about how some of this came to be as well. So the Catholic Church, you know, it was, it was thriving. It was doing its thing for 1,500 years after Jesus died. But then there became this sort of schism about 500 years ago. You know how we always say, like, ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity? It's because every 500 years, there's major shifts within Christianity. And so 500 years ago, a little over 500 years ago now, a big schism happened where Protestantism was created because John Calvin and Martin Luther were like, you know what, there's some real corruption happening here in the Catholic Church. And what they began to say was that like the bishops and the leaders of the Catholic Church, they become like little kings. Because at that time, both the government and the church were deeply united. If you watch the coronation of their most recent king in England, you would see like, whoa, like religion and like politics are deeply woven together. This is kind of crazy. That's exactly what this was, but to the most extreme version possible. And so Protestants began to go, I'm not sure about that. But the biggest reason that Protestantism even took root or even happened to begin with was actually because 
of the printing press. The printing press changed everything. In 1450, the printing press came out, and this new invention really changed the way in which people interacted with scripture, with religion, particularly because all of a sudden, the first book that was ever printed, what do you think it was? The Bible. That's right. You got it. Yes, the Bible. The Gutenberg Bible was the first one printed. And when it was printed, what happened? Normal lay people, like you and I, just started reading this thing. And for all of human history at this point, Christians, and before that, Jews, were always dependent upon rabbis or priests or bishops to read it and to interpret it to them to tell them what it said. And they just had to trust it because they didn't have a book they could just pull off the shelves and double, triple check that or read that for themselves. And so all of a sudden, when Christians begin to read this for themselves, they're like, hmm, that's something's not right here. Something's not adding up or this doesn't make sense. Yes, you always quoted this verse, but what about this verse and this verse? And it seems to be in contrast with this. And it seems that they evolved in time over this with this thought throughout the New Testament. And all of a sudden, there's this tension where it was like, I think that something's not quite right here. And so this is where John, where John Calvin and, uh, and Martin Luther begin to begin to a reform within the Catholic Church. They try to change it from within. And usually when you change something from within, what does it happen? It splinters. <laughs> and so something new began, which is Protestantism, which many of us embrace today if you're sitting in this space. Uh, and it is why we have so many different Christian denominations as well, Right? Because all at the same time as Protestantism started, it wasn't like we could all just be Protestants. All of a sudden it was like, well, I think this and I think that and we read this and we value this. And so you have all of these Baptists and Lutherans and and Presbyterians and all these different groups that start fracturing and starting. All because of the printing press. All because they, for the first time, were able to critically think about and work through what they thought about these things on their own. I really think that it's important to, to also acknowledge like, that when the Protestant Reformation started, they also really started to decide, like, this system, that how things were set up in churches was not working either. And so a lot of Protestant churches were like, no more bishops. Each church gets to decide on their own what they think. Or what we understand is congregationalism started, where it was like, well, there might be a bunch of Baptist churches, but each Baptist church gets a vote on how we decide things within a denomination instead of a bishop just at the top saying, this is what all the churches need to do. I don't care what you think or say. So the system became sort of reformed and uprooted and changed. And while Forefront is not a part of a denomination, I, I, I really do think it's important for pastors to have pastors. And that was something that was a really real gift that bishops and pastors in that relationship had or that other pastors had within a denomination. And so, like, for me, I have worked really hard to try to make connections with other pastors here in the city. I make very hard attempts to stay connected to other pastors around the country who are part of other progressive Christian churches like this because I also need someone to care for and pastor me. I also need someone to seek wisdom and understanding from. I also need that support. And sometimes when you're just off by yourself, it's hard, right? Um, similar to like sometimes if, if you're not a part of a church community and you're just navigating life without a sense of community, that can be isolating. Same is true for pastors as well. So here's my question to you. What if, though, we, we, we've gone through this whole reformation over the last 500 years of what holy orders and clergy and pastors and how churches are organized and what authority looks like. What if ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity means that we commit to expanding holy orders to everyone? What if? What if we all committed to sharing where God is at work in each of our everyday lives? 
I believe holy orders, the role of the holy orders of someone who is a pastor, it is their role is to help empower people by helping them see the divine in themselves, in others, and the world around them. And while that is my job, I also think it could be a calling of all of us, that we all would be called to help others see the divine in themselves, in others, and the world all around them. Obviously, that's a very, very narrow definition of my role, of my job, of Pastor uh, Pastor Vinita and Pastor Max. But ultimately, at its core, I think this is what is at the root of motivates everything that we do. Now, this doesn't mean that I, like, pastors or deacons are like, obsolete or not necessary anymore. I don't think that. I do think that there is a role for having somebody in every Christian community that has been seminary educated, understands the historical knowledge and theological nuances of our Christian history, because otherwise we would just be like, assuming and questioning and wondering, well, I think it maybe means this, or I think it maybe means that. And while those are important, I think it's important to have somebody who is uh, studied in scholarly work. Also, somebody who's like, like with any organization or company or business, to have somebody who's been educated in understanding how the systems work and how the structure is and what this looks like as an institution historically and what this could look like in the future. I think there's value in that. What I don't think there's value in is where the church did get corrupt over 500 years ago and the church continues to be corrupted even within Protestantism today. That is where one person has all the authority or one person is the ultimate authority. This often looks like the check your mind at the door thinking and just listen to what the pastor says. This often manifests in don't ask questions, just have faith and believe in what the pastor says. This often looks like the celebrity pastor complex where people come to church every Sunday because they want to hear this one dominant voice or person tell them what to believe or what to think or how to live because it's just too hard to think on their own or because they don't trust themselves and so they just trust this other person instead of learning to think critically for themselves and to wrestle with the text and realize that they have their own holy orders to embody truth in the world. This also looks like the pastor being the only and primary interpreter of Scripture. Many of us grew up in the traditions where if you disagree with the pastor, well, then there was the door. Where you couldn't push back, you couldn't question, and if you did, that was wrong because it was like questioning the Word of God or the Bible. Okay, well, you're human as well, also interpreting this. While you have education and this is your position, you do not know nor are flawless from all mistakes. You are not God. I think this is often because the church lifted up Father, Son, Holy Bible as the ultimate authorities instead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, realizing that the Holy Spirit is the thing that guides us into all truth, not the Bible and not pastors. But when you elevate one person, the higher they are, the harder they fall. And then we've seen this in our culture today, that we have elevated pastors and pastors have elevated themselves to the point that when they finally mess up and they make a mistake, even if it's a small one, it's a far, far fall because they have placed themselves high above us instead of equal with us. The reality is, is I don't think that that model is working for pastors either. It's not working for churches either. Instead, I think we're called to live and to breathe in the world in a different way. I believe we can all have access to God. I believe that we can all hear and read the scriptures in a way that we own our own faith, just as they did in the Protestant Reformation. In the 16th century, this thing called the priesthood of all believers began within the Protestant Reformation, which was the belief that we are all little priests, that we all are united as a communal voice, and that together, all of our voices, all of our hearts, all of our experiences, all of our reasoning, all of our traditions together 
can help us see a bigger picture of what God is speaking and trying to do in the world versus narrowly focusing only in on the voices and experiences of those who are in authority in the front. This introduced a democratic version of Christianity, and I think it should be the, hist- the future of the next 500 years of Christianity. First Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 9. It says, You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priest work. This is speaking to all of us. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work or her work and to speak out for him or her, to tell others of the night and day difference they made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So here's the question I want to ask as we, as we start to try to land this plane uh, of what does it look like for us to be a royal priesthood? All of us together. How can we embody holy orders at, at forefront? How can we all own our own callings to embody God in the world and our lives and help others to see God at work in, in, in the world and in themselves? Well, the first thing I think is we need to find a healthy respect for pastors, a healthy respect. I, one of the things that I find really interesting sometimes, be having now pastored two churches that are filled with primarily people who have church hurt uh, out of ex-evangelicalism or Catholicism, is that oftentimes we do what we do and we swing to pendulums. We spent our whole life honoring and trusting pastors and everything they said, and then we go to the other end and we're like, pastors know nothing, and they are deceitful, and they cannot be trusted. And so we're just always side-eyeing them, you know? And we're always just pushing back, and we're just so, like, aggressive towards them. And, and, and while that's not always the case in our church, I do encounter that in a fair enough amount to make it a point in the sermon to say... <laughs> That, like, we have to find a balance here, right? Like, it's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, they're amazing, they have all the answers. They have no answers! It, it's, it's like somewhere in the middle of, like, can we find the answers together? Can we find the answers together? And so a healthy tension in the middle. And, and sometimes that, that, that often means, like, doing the work, whether that's with a therapist, to, like, work through our own hurt and pain from our pastors and the pastors in our lives. Eddie, you, you read a beautiful poem a few months ago, about dating, uh, comparing going to different churches like dating, and, and how each one you grew and it stretched you, but it also hurt you and harmed you and taught you different things along the journey. And, and I loved that. I loved that because it was a beautiful image of like the fact that like when we go through hard relationships or things, like we have work to do after to heal. And when we go through hard relationships in the church, we have work to do. We have to heal. It also is deep. And, and I think that that's important. And sometimes it's a matter of just like, I've had to do this uh, with my therapist. Uh, I've had to just name, I'm like, I have, I have struggles with church authority. I've been fired by so many church boards throughout my life because of my sexuality that like, I can like, begin to just tremble in a board meeting if things begin to get a little tense. Because I have been hurt by churches. And so what I often have to do, I just have to name it when I see it and when I'm feeling it, this is what's happening. That often helps me feel at peace. instead of just ignoring and pretending, or if I have an extreme reaction, to be able to say, oh, you know what? That was because of this. And to name what it was. And that actually wasn't a healthy reaction. That actually wasn't a healthy response. We all have this pain. We all have this trauma to work through. A healthy respect for pastors, I think, is something we all can come to try to find. And, and, And so some practical ways also to do this is everyone has a story. You have a story. I have a story. You may wonder why sometimes I pester people about getting together for one on ones and why I just like, want to get to know you, I want to hear your story, I want to know what makes you tick. It's because I think that in hearing each other's story, something amazing happens. 
We meet each other. We move to- closer towards the truth. We move closer towards experiencing the divine. I have something to learn from your story too, not just you hearing me share my story up here. And so if you have a, a difficult time navigating relationships with pastors, I invite you, make a one-on-one with the pastor. It doesn't have to be me. There's lots of pastors on staff. And just share your story with them and ask them about their story. Humanize one another. Walk alongside one another so that we can realize that we're in this together and there isn't this like untouchable nature. The other thing that I think is really great that we do here is preaching boot camp. This is something where when the pastors on staff see things and qualities in people that were like, I think you have something. Like I've heard your story. I've heard your journey. I've watched you navigate it. I think you have something burning inside of you that needs to come out and the congregation needs to see it and hear it. We invite you to preaching boot camp. And usually there's a preparatory process, boot camp, that you go through, and then if you make it through, like some television show on TLC or ABC, then you get up here, and you get to share this thing that's really beautiful and also enhances the, the values of realizing that it's, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a bachelor's degree in order to speak into people's lives. Is it helpful sometimes? Yes. Is it the only voice that should be speaking in our church? Absolutely not. And so that, I think, helps us also realize that that there is a healthy balance that we can find with our respect for pastors. The second thing is to think critically and to share vulnerably. I invite you to make it a priority to stay after church for Kinship Cafe. One of the reasons we do that is because we do not want the only voice you hear when you come to church to be the person who preaches. I love it. I love it when we sit in a circle and someone's like, you said this and I'm not really sure about that. Or you said this, and actually, I think maybe this is true about this situation. Or actually, I don't know if you considered this when you said this. Or when you said this, it actually triggered this in me, and I'm kind of offended by it. Can you actually unpack that a little bit? And instead of that person going home and being angry with me or always wondering, they get to talk about it. I love it. And they get to come, and they get to say, well, here's my traditions, and here are my experiencing, and here's how I reason through that. And other people leave the group, and they, and they may have gotten nothing from the sermon that day. They're like, that sermon was trash. <laughs> but, but that kinship cafe, that person who spoke up, that spoke to me. I'm taking that with me for the day. Because what you have to say, is ma- it matters too. Because we're all trying to figure this out together. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a circle kinship cafe and somebody has said something and I'm like, man, the next time I preach that sermon, I'm going to change this part because of what that person said. You won't even hear it because I won't preach a sermon twice here, but wherever I end up, you know, post b- before retirement. <laughs> I can't be old in this city. It's too hard. I can't live here too long. It's maybe a decade or so more. The other beauty is that small groups is another place where this happens, like connecting in small groups and hearing of different opinions and different voices. One of the small groups that is here, our longest small group is called Crown Heights Small Group, and I went a couple times, and they, they were watching The Good Place, and then afterwards they discussed The Good Place. And I'm like, this is theology. Like, this is rich. This is church. This is amazing. Um, the third thing that I'll say that we can do in order to live into our holy orders, each of us individually, is to look for the divine in the ordinary. Look for the divine in the ordinary. And what I mean by that, there's many examples, but I want to give you one example. Parenting, it is a holy order. It is a holy order. Many ways, because so much of your life, your expectations, your hopes, your wants, your desires, often have to go on the shelf to what your child wants. And more than that, I can't tell you how many times uh, throughout ministry, somebody has a baby, and I say to them, I'll see you in a year. I'll see you in a year. And they laugh and I go, no, no, don't, don't laugh. I'm serious. I'm telling you, I'll see you in a year. It's okay. 
Because you're about to go through the biggest change of your entire life. You're about to spend all week trying to do this routine with your child. And Saturday and Sunday comes, and all you're going to want to do is just like, we are not leaving this house. We are staying in. We're just going with the flow. No pressure. But more than that, when your baby comes to church, everyone wants to hold it. And you're trying to protect its little immune system. And you're not giving that child away to the nursery worker because you don't trust anybody quite yet with, any, with this child. And then you're also walking through this really difficult journey of like, well, I don't know if they're going to even behave. I may have gotten on the subway, loaded up all of the bags, brought them to church, and they may lose their minds, and we may not even get to even enjoy church today. I just literally moved locations so they could throw a temper tantrum in a different little spot. <laughs> like, there's this whole rhythm of like life that's just like, everything is upturned and you don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, it's like, we just can we just... Can we just put a pause on this? Church will be there when we, get, when we figure this other rhythm out. And then we'll add one more spice in at a time instead of trying to just do everything we did before with something that completely makes our life nothing like it was before. I want you to know raising a child is a holy order. It is a beautiful calling. And we are here to support you as well in that journey. And you may only be able to watch online once a year. <laughs> you may need us to support you in a new way. You may need the church to come to your house instead of you having to come to its. And that is okay. It is a holy calling to raise and to love a child into their existence. What did I, how did I define a holy order earlier? It was to be able to help others see the divine in themselves, in others, and the world. That's the definition of parenting. And so... Church, I want to I wanna continue to remind us as we are a young church to be able to support people wherever they are and whatever they can offer at whatever time. And to have that, I want to give you, all of you parents now or parents of the future, permission, permission to do only what you can do and to do the best you can do and to know that is enough. That is enough. It is a holy order. And this is why when people, when, when children are dedicated in our church, the congregation, you also respond back to us. You make commitments to the family to support and love them because it's not just about the pastors and the family or the family unit on their own, but they stand on this stage because you also are making commitments to journey with them because it is a holy order we do together. The last thing I'll say in regards to how we can embody holy orders at, at Forefront is to be intentional to give and to receive. It's so important that we, as we live into these holy orders, that we realize there are, as Pastor Mac was saying earlier, that we realize there are seasons in our lives that we, times when we give and when we receive. And there are times when we can do both. In every church I've ever pastored, I've always called people to this. I always say, listen, find one way to give back and one way to receive. You cannot give what you do not have. And if all you're doing is giving, giving, and you have no place in our church where you're getting poured back into, you will burn out and you will be done. And you will leave quickly. And there are seasons and are in your life when you when there are, there are people in our church who have served on the leadership team and the board here, and they have like burned out, and they are exhausted. Or people who have served as deacons and they have gone above and beyond, and they need to they need to spend a season of a year or two years doing nothing, but just coming and getting poured back in because they are dry, like bone dry. And, and that is okay, and it is the duty of the pastors as well to be stewards of that, to go, I'm not going to ask them to do anything. They need time. But churches have just drained people of everything that they have. 
And we, we have to learn to be in relationship with, with this with one another. To be able to be in a relationship where the pastor can say, you've sent up for a few too many ministries. Why don't you not? Or you seem like you're in a season of life where you need to not be serving. You just need to enjoy. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is if each of us, when we are able to serve, we do serve. Otherwise, a small percentage of the congregation will be carrying the heavy weight instead of equally distributed as a royal priesthood with all of us carrying out our holy orders. We all must do what we can, when we can, how we can, but not over what we can or under what we can, but to find that sweet spot. Because if we do that, that's where I think the church will thrive. And that's where we will thrive. And that's where we will see God in us, in others, and in the world. I'll close with this last thing. Uh, I'm going to cut my last story that I wanted to share. But I have to say this, and I know I'm, I'm at time, but I have to say this because I just want to say this to the women in our church. I want to say this to the women in our church. The church has often thrived and been built on the packs of women's unpaid labor. And I am sorry. Because all of these holy orders were only allowed for men. Until recently, until the last little over 100 years, that women have ever even been allowed to be honored and paid for these roles or these to be occupations. But for most of Christian history, women have served in these roles with just other titles. It's on the backs of women that the food and the organizing and the planning and the connection and the emotional labor and the shopping and the childcare and the minutes taking and the decorating and the volunteering, coordinating and the landscaping and the cleaning and the preaching and the teaching and the nurturing of our families and our children and our church and the taking care of people has been done for so many years on the backs of unpaid labor. And I am sorry. And my hope for the future of the church is that would not be true. That ushering in the next 500 years would also mean equality amongst the sexes in holy orders and in honor and respect for all people who give back to the advancement of the church and the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I invite the band to come and we enter into one of the sacraments, communion. Uh, I invite you to come forward and to realize that a few things. One, the bread is gluten-free and there's juice in there instead of wine. And the second thing I want you to know is that historically this table has been policed by priests who would decide if you were worthy enough to receive it. And at Forefront, nobody's policed in this table. And no pre it's, not, it's not just priests that will serve the elements to you or pastors, but it is simply us, the lay people. It is simply us all, the royal priesthood, who come both to bear the gifts, to receive the gifts, to prepare the gifts. And so may you come and know that this, this form of sacrament is the future of the church. Amen and amen. Would you hold your elements and not take them until we've all received them, and then we'll come back and we'll take them together. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.